The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, good morning. My guests today are private investigators Dean and Karen Beers. Both are certified in Medi... Medi I can't even say it. Medical. Medical legal. legal. Medical legal death investigations, including work as forensic autopsy assistants. Dean and Karen are going to discuss a topic that causes sorrow for so many with such questions such as, is it a suicide or not? When a family member dies at his or her hands, their own hands, it's often, they often leave a trail of just unmentionable pain, shame, guilt. Um, all fostered on the loved ones. Actually, I have a friend that this happened to a couple years ago. And is it a suicide or not? Who decides? What are the determining factors? Can the death have been caused in another way? And are there risks in either determination? So let me tell you a little about Dean. Dean is a certified legal investigator, private investigator, and an expert in criminal defense, homicide, and civil equivocal death investigations. He has extensive background in the medical, legal, forensic, and factual investigations, and he's authored a book called Professional Locate Investigations and Practical Methods for Legal Investigations, Concepts, and Protocols in Civil and Criminal Cases, two books. Dean is the board chair of the Professional Private Investigators Association of Colorado, Regional Director of the National Council of Investigating Security Services, member of National Association of Legal Investigators, where he writes a column on forensic focus, and member of several other associations, and he's also a Mensa member. Karen, his wife, who's also with me today, earned her bachelor's in social work magna cum laude at Colorado State University, and that's located right there in Fort Collins. And she is a certified criminal defense investigator. Her background, education, and experience with victims, victim advocacy, and counseling are really valuable assets when you're working with families and victims of traumatic events, particularly with suicides. Karen's a member of the Criminal Defense Investigating Investigation Training Council, National Defenders Investigators Association, National Association of Professional Women, and also the author of several articles. So together, what a team, Dean and Karen, have co-developed an online continuing education training for private investigators called Death Investigation for Private Investigators. So let me start with you, Karen. Um, yours is, you guys have somewhat of an odd specialty. How did you get started? In the specialty of death investigation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we both 
went through the training at Larimer County uh, Corner's office. Dean went first, and he also went to receive his, oh, I can't remember what it's called. I've been sick, so I'm a little slow today. Um, Anyway, we both went through the, the training at the coroner's office, and it was extensive training, and that's how we got started. Wow, that's amazing. And and this is open to civilians? At the time, yeah, at the time, there were certain people that they don't accept, they didn't accept everyone. Um, you had to have either some kind of either a medical background or an investigative background. Hmm. And we had the investigative background. So um, we went through the training, and then we were hired. And Not everybody Karen, gets hired that went through the training. Okay. And, Karen, were you already a private investigator when you did that? At the time, yes. And so you were hired to do what? At the coroner's office, it was from start to finish. When the call came out that, that, that there was a death, you were required to go to the scene and take everything um, responsible f- surrounding the death. Um, we took control of the body and um, did our investigation, which is separate from law enforcement investigation. Then we would take the body back to the morgue, and then whenever the autopsy was scheduled, we would assist with autopsy and then write the full report and then, you know, take the the family, you know, through each step of of their loved one and, you know, what the cause of death was. Okay. So it was start All to right. finish. We didn't hand it off to, you know, this county isn't as big as some counties where you may have one person do one thing, one person do another. And in, in, in this particular county, you stayed with that body. And I and I did mention you're you're located in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is uh, Larimer County, and that's Correct. who did the training. Right. Yeah. Well, and Dean, what kind of investigation do you do on a case like that, on a death case? In our private sector work, we're not as involved. Uh, we might be considered to review, attend an autopsy review for review uh, at the time that that takes place, but that's very rare because of timing and stuff. Most of the time, uh, because like Karen mentioned, we're, our training and, and, and work experience involved from beginning of the scene to the conclusion where we stayed with the body and the family, so to speak. Um, so now what we primarily get involved in are autopsy report reviews that might also involve our forensic pathologist. And we are primarily involved in reviewing what we call equivocal or questioned death cases which are primarily where there's a concern of a case that may have been ruled a suicide, typically where the family's concerned that it wasn't, or sometimes where it's even ruled as uh, maybe an accident, but yet they're concerned that it was a homicide or a suicide concerned as mm-hmm. a homicide. So we get involved in those, and that, that involves reviewing all the official records, reports, photographs. Um, there's some hiccups because of various state laws, such as in Florida, they can't release autopsy photographs without consent of the next of kin. Well, sometimes the next of kin might be a suspect in what the family feels might be a homicide. Mm-hmm. So now we're left without access to uh, photographs 
or and and things like that. And Florida's not the only state; it just happens to be one, and that's because of the Dale Earnhardt Law. So we get involved in those. Uh, wait a minute, wait, 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 what's, what's, what is that law? So Pardon what's me, the, the Dale law? Earnhardt law, law. Dale Earnhardt, yeah. and that's from the NASCAR race driver that was killed several years ago, and his autopsy photographs were released by uh, uh-huh. to the tabloids by an employee of the medical examiner's office. I Unfortunately, see. they were released illegally, um, but they still implemented a law that, that restricted it, uh, releasing those photographs without permission of the next of kin or a court order. Uh, so it can be problematic in the states that have similar laws. Some states don't have public records uh, that their autopsy reports are not public records, so that, um, such as I believe that Minnesota is one. So that creates a problem for us. But we, we will conduct interviews. We will review all the records and reports. Uh, and, and both of us uh, put our eyes and minds to it. And then we actually have some discussions about what we feel we've independently reviewed. And then we reach a, a uh, conclusion together, uh, which so far today, or to this day, we've agreed on, on our conclusions, even though sometimes uh, our perspectives might be a little bit different uh, in how we reach that. And, and the input of Karen's input or my input to the case uh, is very important. And Karen, how how is what you do now in the private sector, uh, how does that compare to what you were doing with the Larimer County Coroner's Office? Well, the the work itself is a lot different because you're not physically going to scenes and physically, you know, taking um, the decedent anywhere and participating in the autopsy. So um, it's easier in in that respect, mm-hmm. but with you're not being able to take your own pictures and, you know, see the scene for yourself, you have to think a little more. Right. However, the information, you know, the information is the same on paper. That that doesn't change. It's just that physically you're not there. And when you were with the county, um did you you had a you must have had a lot of interaction with the families? Yes. And and do in your county, because I know in some counties this exists, in your county when it is initially deemed a suicide is the crime scene handled differently whenever it's when it is yes definitely when uh suicides are not they're they're just not investigated the same way by law enforcement as you know a homicide the, the time yeah. there is not the same and you know it's the, the the one thing that we did as far as it, also in Larimer County, is it was our responsibility to contact family members, the next of kin, and mm-hmm. inform them of the death. And that was probably one of the most difficult parts of the job. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was by far the most difficult. The Because suicide is not a crime, and unfortunately because sometimes law enforcement will walk into a scene and determine it to be a suicide the, the level of investigative quality may go way down. Um, the agencies here were usually really good about treating a suspected death as just exactly that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you, if you had an inexperienced detective, they might, well, this is obviously a suicide. Well, 
we can't look at it that way. And in the private sector, we never look at anything. Even if we ask that the, even though the family might provide us a whole bunch of detail, we actually don't review their detail and opinions until we're done with everything else. Oh, that's so good. That we, yeah, so we don't go in jaded, but they should treat every death as suspicious. One example that we just completed that we recommended be reinvestigated. Before you go there, days. Dean, oh. before, before you go there, let's take a quick break. Um, oh, sure. Notify me it's time. So we'll return shortly with Colorado PIs, Karen and Dean Beers. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, Karen Beers and Dear. Dean Beers, besides being private investigators, are specialists in death investigations. Dean, you were just starting to give us an example. Yeah, what, commonly what we get is where a, question, a family is really concerned about a case that might have been ruled a suicide, and there might be cause to believe that by them that there wasn't. What we've usually found is their cause for belief is much different than what what we look at. You know, they it's they would have never done that. They didn't have a reason to. They just told me yesterday, you know, they had all these plans or something. Mm-hmm. And those, although may seem relevant and we understand with the family, they're not as important to us as the facts that we look at in the case. So, for example, we recently had a case where the family presented all these different concerns, which are, are good to know, but what was important to us was looking at the scene 
And in this particular case, it was a gunshot wound uh, to the person's head. And, but there was also a high level of, of uh, prescription drugs in his system and, and fatal levels. Mm-hmm. So then it became a question of could he have done one, shot himself while under the influence of these drugs, and at what level did these drugs elevate to the point that they become fatal? So in other words, did somebody, what were the circumstances? Did he actually shoot himself? Did he take fatal amount of drugs? Was one a suicide or was one a homicide? And it went on like that. And mm-hmm. one of the questioning factors in that was that he, the, the, he did shoot himself with the hand that was not his dominant hand, which is unusual. Um, so we had to look at that and recommend that it be reopened because there's too many questions. Uh, and, and that was something that the family never noticed or never took into consideration, uh, that type of thing. And, and that became evident to us pretty quick at looking at the photographs and confirming it with the information in the reports. So that's just a, one of many examples that we have. And we've had, had cases where uh, we've gone back and let the family know that uh, it is exactly as the official investigation has led us, you know, has ruled and led us to believe, and, and there's nothing to change or reinvestigate. Uh, which is sometimes not what they want to hear because right. they may have insurance at stake, uh, life insurance. There may be a, an exclusion clause for suicides. Usually it's mm-hmm. less than 10 years from the date of the policy. Or there may be a double indemnity where for an accident where if their their death is an accident, you know, instead of getting 100000 they would get $200,000. Right. So it becomes important to them. Uh, time of death, things, things like that might be important too. It's pretty, I would think it would be pretty difficult to get an agency to reopen a case once they made their determination. Is that not true? It, it is very true. Uh, we Another case we had, we've worked with a colleague in, in, in Arizona uh, on a case where it was a work rela- not a work-related death, but he died at, during his work. Uh, and it was ruled a suicide, but to... Many people, it was clearly a homicide, and it, it finally took uh, the filing of a, of a federal action for that to be looked into under under some federal issues that were involved, even though turned, the agency it, investigating still won't. And it turned out to be a homicide? Uh, it's still being in, officially investigated, uh, or hopes to be reopened, in, but officially they've still deemed it as a suicide, but uh, at least the families now been able to bring forward the action they need to with not just us but other agencies involved uh, to bring that forward and get that hopefully reopened and reinvestigated. They, they at least now have an administrative hearing and there'll be a, I believe it was an, it's going to be an eight-person panel of various components, uh, attorneys, law enforcement, insurance, that will make a recommendation if it should be officially reopened or not. Wow. And that's process. a lot of work for for the family, and it's a lot of grief for the family to go through. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, walk me through what you what steps you take and the kinds of things you look for, Dean Karen. You and Dean both jump in whenever it's appropriate. But I'm I'm interested in in like the step by step process of what you, what you would do. Go ahead. Dean. I'll, I'll start just a little bit. Um, after the consultation with the family, we let them know what we need to have, and that's the records, photographs, reports. And we ask them to include a narrative of their opinion, but we let them know that we're not going to read that till we're done. But we want to have that so that we, we can have that all at once. And uh-huh. then 
basically, uh, we one one cop, copy of the file Karen gets, and one copy of the file I'll get, and then uh, we actually independently look at it uh, without talking about it, and then when we're done or, or through the process as things in stages, you know, we'll start having some discussions about that. And the only reason is so we don't influence each other's thoughts, but. Once once we started reviewing, it becomes important to to uh, share with each other. Uh, so you know, Karen can uh, explain the process that she goes through when she looks at the reports and photographs. Do you have uh, very divergent viewpoints, or is that sometimes. too a question? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do, um, and and I don't know whether that's because. It's probably a lot of things, but males and females, of course, do think differently. And women seem to put more emotion into even just looking at something on paper. We can we have more emotion about something than what males do. And I think sometimes that's sometimes it gets in the way. Although sometimes it's it helps mm-hmm. him see where my point of view is. Can you think of an example where you um, really looked at something completely different and then it all came together? You put all the pieces together from both of your viewpoints? One that comes to mind that that became important, and, and, and the end result is is important, and we haven't had been divergent on that. But what Karen said about how we look at things, uh, you might call it black and white versus emotional, and that's true, and that's not anything for or against men or women, but it is simply true. One case that we have involves a death penalty case uh, where he the, he exonerated himself. Uh, Jeremy Sheets, I think you're familiar with him. Oh, Thank yeah, you. Jeremy Sheets. He was okay. on the show. Right, 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 exactly. Well, we, ha- we have that case as a pro bono, and it, we read the entire trial transcripts that were available and we're still working on other things, but we've reached a conclusion. We've let him know about that, and we support, uh, you know, his position, and we're trying to help him out further. But what became important is as Karen was reading these transcripts, and she was reading about the victim of this homicide that Jeremy didn't commit, as well as these witnesses and, and other people, she, she shared what she felt was uh, the strong ties of that, whereas I, I was looking at things, uh, you know, from a, it's hard to explain, but I wasn't looking at it totally different. But she 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 opened up a little bit more to what she felt might might have been behind some of these. Like for example, the victim, what what the victim may or may not have been doing that morning, and what seemed more likely than not, and how that applied to the actions that Jeremy was accused of that he couldn't have done. And Terry can explain that a little bit more. Uh, you know what? She, well, he just her insight he just that. had more of a focus on on seeing the facts. Um, can, on at Jeremy's for Jeremy's um, um well I've lost my train of thought. His circumstances, Jeremy's <clears throat> circumstances yeah, things that told me he couldn't. When have I was been there. reading it became a story to me and I brought the victim in and into my mind too and was trying to figure out, you know, what what went on that day just by reading the transcripts and the witnesses that came in and s- said that they saw her as well. So I brought both things in. So you tried to get into the victim's head. Exactly. Yeah. Where she and was. I, and and that yeah, let day. me just say that uh, let's just 
you know, because a lot of our listeners may not know about Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Sheets is a case out of Nebraska where he w- served uh, several years on death row and has and is now released. And uh, he spoke at the conference at the Private Investigators Association in Colorado, and then he was on uh, PIs Declassified a number of months ago. Um, really great guy, and has really has struggled, um, of course, because since he's now got a prison record, it's very tough for him to find a job, find a place to live, and all those kind of things. Right. Right. If you were in Colorado, Francie, when he gave his keynote, um, which yeah. was very compelling, yes. and um, you know, we've talked to him a lot and met with him, and, and we consider him, you know, a good person, a good friend. Yeah, he is struggling. Um, mm-hmm. Quite Not just emotionally, but in many different ways. Um, he's, and, although he's been let out of prison, he still has to prove his innocence. Uh, all the and time. And he does have that record, you know. And, right. Uh, I don't think any of us can put ourselves in those shoes. There's only, you know, so many people in his unfortunate club that can do that yeah so uh karen so when you um so when you read a report it sounds like you um you go through a process of visualizing what happened in your head exactly exactly and try and tap and tap into maybe the person's try to tap into maybe the person's uh, personality and or emotions or right, or right what their life was like exactly the, the victimology and, and and stuff like and that's that's what's important uh, in the teamwork that we have uh, yeah and we're looking at the same exact thing but and we have the same goal that's to provide unbiased answers but right uh, and it is it's, you know, it is interesting yet it's it's weird that when I am picturing something it's you know I can picture the whole the whole deal, and it's in color. It's not like, you know, some dreams are in black or white and some are in color, and and I do visualize, you know, when I'm going through this process. Yeah. And, Dean, your process is what? Talk about your process. Uh, you know, it, I, I try the same thing, but I, I, I tend to focus more on the on the, the, the facts and, and, the, and the answers that the evidence gives specifically. So, um you know, I do care very much about the family. I care very much about the victims or like in, in, in a homicide case, the victim of the homicide, as well as if we're working for the defense, you know, the person that's been charged and accused of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my uh, a, a case that we had a while ago uh, out of another state, in which I was working as, as the defense expert on the injury causation, uh, and they also had... Uh, you know, as our agency is hired in the whole, you know, there was also Karen involved in reviewing that. But I, my purpose was to, for example, in this one particular case, try my best to determine how many people may have been involved and how many weapons may have been involved. That was one of the key issues. However, uh, so I looked at those facts that support, that, uh, that were relevant to those questions that were being asked of me. But Karen's purpose in reviewing that case was to, help put that together in, uh, you know, the victimology because there was a homicide victim and there were multiple defendants involved. And and then how did that work together in the conversations that we would have with the attorney so that it would help them develop a defense plan? Right, right. In that okay, particular case. Yeah, let's oh, take another ahead. break, Dean. Let's take a okay. quick break. Okay, PIs to class, I'll be right back to discuss more about suicides 
and is it a suicide or not? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Karen and Dean Beers are talking about suicides and investigating suicides and um, Dean, so what would you say would be your um, most significant case that you worked on regarding a suicide? Or, uh, or maybe probably the, the the one that's going right now. Turns that that, and we just found out yesterday it's going to go to administrative hearing. That that actually is a pretty important one. Uh, it occurred while a person was working as a law enforcement officer investigated by his own agency, and uh, there were other outlying issues involved um, Mm -hmm. that really complicated the case, and it was not including the insurance, but just complicated the case. So besides the fact that it's obviously really important to the family, uh, it's also uh, probably going to become important to put that agency on notice that people are looking into how they investigate things. Um, 
So in a sense, that one's important. And, and, and a similar one that we did uh, for, for another colleague, uh, a person was found in their home to have reported to commit suicide, and we actually supported that. But there were a lot of things that the other investigator at the at that location, at you know, because we do a lot of outside consulting, you know, found that there still could be some concern. So, you know, through teamwork, you know, we still reached the same conclusion that it probably was still a suicide, but yet there's things that the family should look into as far as how hereditary issues went. So they can kind of take divergent paths um, and how that goes. Uh, but when we have workplace deaths or anything involving insurance, those tend to become really important to families simply because the bottom line is there may be a lot of money on the line that may mm-hmm. be necessary for their home mortgage, for raising their kids, um, you know, stuff like that. So sure. it could be the difference between getting no insurance money or getting, you know, something specified in, in an accident clause. Um, so yeah, one, it's, it's one so, ex- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go well, ahead, one example that, that we didn't investigate but we came across was a the death of a fireman uh, in in a structure that was arson, so it was deliberately caused, and arson being a felony, and that death would be prosecuted as a felony homicide. However, the question that was presented in this forum was, is that an accident or is that a homicide? Sure. Uh, and, and that's an important question, and believe it or not, forensic pathologists in different state laws might rule that medically different because that's the important thing. We Our decisions are based on the medical findings, not the legal definition of homicide. Like if somebody is driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol and strikes a pedestrian, that's actually a, a, ruled a manner of death as accident, whereas legally they, they may be charged and prosecuted as vehicular mm-hmm. homicide. Yeah, that's a good distinction. And we get involved in those. Okay. Alright. Well, you know, it's so, it's so difficult. Uh, years ago, I had uh, one of my attorney clients' uh, wife was found, um, and it was a deemed a suicide. And there were, just exactly what you were talking about, there were so many questions about, you know, uh, where the gun was, where she, you know, which hand it was, what, where the blood spatter was, where, um, who was in the house, who was around, who was, you know, some outlying things that she'd had um, questions. There was an, lived in an outlying area, and she had questions about uh, somebody coming to the house when she wasn't there and things like that. And uh, But the unfortunate thing is once that's cold and it wasn't investigated initially, that evidence is gone. And yeah, I mean, very... you guys must run into that a lot. Don't you? you? You run into that a lot, wouldn't you? The older cases, yes. And that's yeah. frustrating. Very frustrating. Frustrating for the family because it probably takes them a while to come to somebody like you, like the two of you and right. hire you to, to get involved. So that probably takes a while because they, they're trusting the system to handle it for them. Correct. Because they didn't the, – they – they feel that the system did them wrong to begin with. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when they look at us as part of the system, that causes a problem. However, yeah. <clears throat> when the most important thing when we investigate these types of cases, and that is the majority, is was it suicide? You know, that's one of the biggest 
majority of our our cases, our equivocal death cases. And the main focus, of course, is to make sure all the facts, everything was followed, protocol, ethical, everything to begin with. But people, when they seek out our assistance, it's, because they're still not sleeping. They're still, their, their head is still full of all of these questions. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to do is we want to answer those questions so that they can, you know, so to speak, go on with their lives because their lives have stopped because right. of all of this trauma that's, yeah. that was created. And even and brings up a good point yeah. that I, I forgot about one of the, the, one of the first things we do, and sometimes it's the only thing families might need is, was that official investigation done properly? And sometimes yeah. if they just know it was done properly, they're okay with everything else. Uh, so we do, that's actually the very first thing we, we do is, is look at the protocols, uh, either that we're trained and experienced under and or what might be relevant to that region and make sure they're followed because uh, sometimes we get surprised at what is or isn't done. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. So what advice would the two of you give um, somebody that's listening that might have had, might be questioning the death of a family member or a loved one? Well, personally, if, if I were, because the longer you wait, the, the longer everything, you know, you conjure up all kinds of things in your head. So the longer you wait... To, to seek out help in, in resolving the questions surrounding a death, the sicker you become, mm-hmm. and also it affects everybody around you. And the quicker that you, you can resolve these questions, the better off you, you know, personally will be. And you can, you know, just kind of just breathe again and, and start living. Some people, it's years before they they finally say, okay, you know, I've got, I need help. And by then, everything is so, you know, boggled in their minds, and it just causes them, you know, physically they get sick. Emotionally, they're sick. So the quicker they they seek help, the better off they'll be. Mm -hmm. And are you talking about... um Help is in hiring somebody or help in hiring someone to to help with these questions, all these questions, unanswered questions that and then, you know, their questions become kind of wild after a while. You know, some after so many years, everything becomes suspicious, you know. Right. Yeah. But if they get a grip on it to begin with, get try to get a handle. and, And at first, you know, the grieving process is so your mind is, you know, it's so upset anyway that you can't think straight once that initial you settle down and you can and focus if you have still have these lingering questions honestly it's it's better to go ahead and seek out an investigator to to get these questions answered mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and how how are you received by law enforcement is it mixed depending on the agency or, or yes, are you depending on the agency? Yes. Yeah. That's mixed. Usually it's not the best um, because they feel like you're questioning them. And we're really not. The family may be, but we're not. Mm-hmm. We're okay. simply looking, you know, as you know, Francie, but our listeners may not know. We're we're all investigators. Are, we really don't care uh, about 
uh, uh, you know, irrelevant opinions and stuff. Uh, what we care about is bringing closure to the families, but we have to start with where do the facts take us, and mm-hmm. and that's and we may be critical of law enforcement and sometimes openly, but we think that that if they kind of take that, they may improve, and and people can be critical of us so that we can improve as well. We did get surprised not too long ago on a case uh, where the the person in charge of the records was, I mean, I just hung up the phone and even told Karen, you're not going to believe the conversation I had. It was so open and so welcoming that we've sort of developed an informal partnership in ways where, the, you know, we can call each other and share things. But, yeah, just completely opened the book on the whole case file. Mm. Uh, wow. And every, I mean, a totally unusual conversation, but I think it went a long way to building rapport. And, and that that uh, law enforcement, that sergeant's comments were, you know, I, I figure we all have to treat each other and, and reach the same conclusion, although we may have different opinions, but or, or take the same path to that conclusion. Um, so it was it was pretty unique. But usually, though, it's pretty, as you know, it's pretty standoffish. Um, but if they really feel like that. That we're sort of on their side, mm-hmm. or really unbiased, they tend to be a little more open. But if they think we're there to criticize them, it's well, difficult. Have you learned methods that you can walk through that and facilitate it more than maybe other investigators that run into those problems? You know, I'm not afraid for us to pull the. You know, we are trained and experienced and worked at the ME's office card. Um, okay. You know, and, and, and so they know that we're aware of the official investigation uh, and the process and that we're there not to criticize them but to possibly even help them on, on some cases. Uh, what Karen was stumbled on earlier was uh, I had graduated the Law Enforcement Academy, so I was deputized uh, through the Sheriff's Department as well in Larimer County. Uh, and, and working with our cases, we know, we know what's – there are good agencies here. And good, mm-hmm. good detectives here. So we know what should be done, what shouldn't be done, how they're going to do it. And, and we're not afraid to, you know, let them know that we just want to be a partner in resolving this issue for the family. If they're there to, uh, uh, help the family, we try to let them understand and encourage them to, to be with us on doing that. Now, oh, this is great. We need to take another break, guys. Um, stay tuned for more from Karen and Dean Beers. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org. 
or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Are private investigators from Colorado, and they specialize in medical legal death investigations, uh, and formerly worked as uh, forensic autopsy assistants. So we've been talking about uh, about suicides and whether uh, cases are deemed suicide or not, and uh, what the results of that could possibly be regarding insurance and all kinds of things. So um, we're in our last segment, and I know that um, Karen, you may want to. Uh, close this out because I know you guys want to talk about licensing in Colorado briefly because it's a very exciting thing. So, Karen, why don't you just go ahead and close out this segment of the program with the the suicide? With the, the suicide, right? And, um, I just want you know people to know that when we look at a case, it's from every angle possible. It's not just um, <clears throat> we don't go in with a biased opinion of what it is. So. Some people might believe that, okay, well, they're going to go with that side because that that's just the way they think or whatever. We, we don't do that. So I want to explain that to people and let them know that every case is unique, just like every individual is unique, and that's the way we work it. And we we know where to get records and and the proper channels to go through to to help them ask for the necessary, like the photographs and all the reports needed for us to do the proper investigation. So we help them go through that. Okay. And if, and if somebody wants to contact you regarding this kind of a case, what, what would they do? Where would they contact you? Well, they can go to our website at Associates. No, that's, that's a different that's website. That's right now. Uh, That's the email. Sorry. <laughs> Do what? Okay, you guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, What's your death, website? www.deathcasereview.com. Okay. It is is one, and then our phone number is nine seven zero four eight zero seven seven nine three, and they can reach us anytime. And the email. That's what Karen was getting ready to give. Uh, Go ahead. Associates at forensic dash investigators.com and that hyphen Great. in there is important okay very good um, so uh, just repeat the website again www.deathcasereview.com 
deathcasereview.com. Okay, all one word, correct? Correct. And also, okay. um, com. Okay. All right. So people this can write that one. down. All right. Yeah. Francie, we have so many addresses. I don't know which is which. Yes, <laughs> you really <laughs> Really. We want to you know, we, want, guys, we want to make it as easy as possible to bring answers to families. That's what we want. And you guys have a lot going on right now. I'm aware of that, so <laughs> we, we get that. Uh, okay, so I know that you really wanted to talk about uh, licensing in Colorado and the voluntary licensing law was just passed, and you're you're signing people up right and left. I understand. So you want to talk about we that? We are. Yeah. Uh, well. There's uh, July 1st, the licensing law became effective in Colorado. It is unique in the country. It's voluntary, so it's not mandatory that a person be licensed. But there are benefits to licensure. As you know, Francie, being in California, it's very difficult to be licensed, and you have to be licensed. Right. Uh, but we, the importance are, you know, the professionalism, uh, the vetting process so that clients and consumers know that that licensed investigator has at least 4,000 hours of of relevant investigative experience. They've passed a fingerprint CBI. That's our Colorado Bureau of Investigation and FBI background check. Uh, it makes it easier for attorneys and clients to uh, qualify their, their potential investigators uh, for that. It does provide consumer protection so that if somebody hires a licensed investigator and, and has a problem, they can report that to the regulating agencies. And it also helps investigators like Karen and I, you know, we're licensed. Karen uh, was the second person licensed in Colorado, and then I, I was the third. So she's our senior licensed <laughs> investigator. Uh, and that's true. She is. Uh, but it, it allows us to extend that professionalism both to our colleagues and our potential clients. Uh, it now puts Colorado, or at least licensed investigators in Colorado, on, a, on the same playing field as others, uh, and that same recognition, because other investigators really only prefer to hire other licensed investigators. Right. Um, that's just the bottom line. It's just a, a, it's almost like a promise that you can, you know, you may be the best that we can find uh, for reputation and not having a criminal history. Not necessarily that they're the best investigator. Licensing doesn't provide that, it, but it does provide a credential that, that at least opens that door up a little bit. And in Colorado, this is a step. It's, I mean, I find it really exciting. I know that you guys have struggled for a long time. I think this was the third. Was it the third time you tried to get licensing, or maybe it's oh, the fourth. at least seven or eight times. Oh, uh, seven or failed. eight times, and we're in, in we're thirty-four shot down. years. Yeah, right. Thirty-four years. Colorado was the first state to have professional licensing of investigators in the country in eighteen seventy-seven. It was the first law passed by Colorado as a state. And 100 years later, in 1977, it was declared unconstitutional because there was no adequate legal definition of a private investigator. So for 34 years, the PPIC was founded, and we have good friends that you know, Francie, Bob Helis, and, and people like that that were mm-hmm. that have been worked for years. So their foundation is what led it to this. So it was 34 years of work, not just one or two years. Um, but seven or eight times it failed, and um, it is unique. It is voluntary. It is a step in the right direction, um, and we're, you know, looking to get all the investigators in Colorado licensed. Uh, our, for Karen and I personally, our philosophy is that if you're a professional investigator in Colorado and you qualify to be licensed, then you should be. Exactly. Uh, there just isn't a reason not to be licensed if, if you qualify. If you don't qualify, 
uh, being voluntary, there's an uninhibited path to uh, reach your licensing goals. And PPIC, the Professional Private Investigators Association of Colorado, as well as other associations, will help uh, any member uh, continue to reach that goal. Well, and, you know, it solves, uh, ultimately, I think, I'm hoping that it'll get in, go to mandatory uh, licensure, but Colorado has been so long a haven for people that have been operating uh, with illegal activities that claim they are private investigators, and I'm very excited that Colorado has taken this step. Exactly. So, that's and, and true. as you and know, I'm, huh? What did you I'm say? I'm sorry. Uh, I said, that's very I started, true, and on. On, on the same note, the, the regulating agency will take complaints on those that are unlicensed that may be doing illegal activity. So that way, if they attempt to get licensed here or in another state, Colorado is going to keep track of that. So it's not a complete safe haven anymore. There's still work to be done, but uh, it, but it will help. Well, and hopefully it will help in with cases and like that one that that judge. I can't remember what case it was, but the judge, um, because Colorado didn't have any licensing at the time that you had that case, remember? Right. It was Southern Colorado, and I, I was retained as, as an expert on investigative protocols and ethics. And, there, and without going into a long story, there were four investigators that violated our common ethics that we have in our profession. Yeah. Uh, and, but the judge would not allow me to testify on the ethics because to almost quote, as there is no licensing of private investigators, there is no legal definition of a private investigator. And therefore there are no ethics, which, which they must follow. Wow. That was pretty insulting. And because the judge knew, and we tried to impress upon him that those investigators were working as agents of the attorney and therefore they had to still follow those ethics. Yeah. And that's what they violated was well, the, the American Bar Association ethics. Yeah, that's a great example. Well, congratulations, yeah. you guys. Uh, you, I know um, you two and a lot of people worked hard to get that to happen. And, and the rest of the country, licensed investigators in the rest of the country, really appreciate it. So yeah, I want to just you. say, um, weeks ago, I meant switching gears here again quickly before we cut out. Uh, I mentioned the West Coast Super Conference presented jointly by PI Magazine and the California Association of Licensed Investigators in San Diego. I wanted to send a shout out to thank Jimmy and Roe Messes for the work they did for this outstanding conference. And then IRB Search put on the most amazing event on the flight deck of the USS Midway. IRB Search is an information provider for the trade and is also one of the sponsors for this show. So thank you, Jimmy, and thank you to all of the folks that work so hard at IRB Search to make that wonderful event on the USS Midway happen. So here we are again at the end of our show. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. Thank you, Karen, and thank you, Dean, your fabulous you. guests. And I just wish you well on all the new ventures that you're setting out to do. So Thank you, thank you very much, Francie. You're welcome. Anybody have questions on that or licensing, let us know. Okay, very good. And it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. 
Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 